Hi, this is Brendan with CrazedPilot.com, and I have a pop quiz for you today. What is the number one thing that pilots like to do in the winter? When they can't fly, they like to watch their favorite aviation videos and training material. Maybe you want to learn how to fly tailwheel, learn how to fly tailwheel on skis. Maybe you just want to be entertained by the Big Rocks Long Props Off Airport videos, or the Cub Driver No Second Chances DVD. We carry some of the hardest to find DVDs you may have never seen before, and you can watch all of the trailers on our website. Just go to crazedpilot.com forward slash S-M-A-C. A portion of every purchase that you make goes to help keep the Stuck Mike Avcast on the air. So thanks a lot, and we'll see you there. The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode number 61, Drones and Unmanned Aerial Systems with Airplane Geek Max Flight, coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa. Joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation drones. First, we have Carl Valeri from his studio. Actually, I don't even, I didn't ask you, where Where are you, Carl? I'm just droning away right here in uh, Florida, Florida, on the west coast of Florida, yes. That's right. Yes. I, you know, you come to think of it, you did and, say the cat was scratching at the door, so that's only at your Florida studio. <laughs> so yes. I should have, should have connected, but uh, welcome. Good to have you here today. Great to be here on an overcast day in Florida. That doesn't happen very often. Well, we're all shedding a tear, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, good to have you. Our uh, next aviation drone all the way from her studio out in Frederick, Maryland, Victoria Zyko. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. I have a beautiful, beautiful view of a nice full, well, full-ish moon. It was it was quite large coming up on the horizon last night. It was impressive. It was. Yeah, well, it was pretty orange. It sure was. Well, good to have you. It's uh, it's good to to hear your voice. We understand you've been um, preparing for the show by drinking a lot of sugary beverages. So we expect to hear a lot of comments and questions from you in the next hour. Uh, I can't promise that. Maybe giggling. <laughs> giggling. Well, that, that's some. That's good enough. Whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sean Moody from his uh, spare bedroom studio all the way down in Kentucky. Welcome. Hey, hey, hey. good to be here, guys. Um, I haven't looked outside. I assume the moon, the moon is nice, but uh, I'll have to take a look. Yeah, it was. It's it's full. It's nice, nice moon week. Uh, who do we have next, Mister uh, Rick Felty, high Yo. above the Boston skyline once again from yes. his studio? Welcome. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here as usual. Hmm. And uh, I'm Len Costa, joining you from the Loft Studio, downtown Chicago. And this is episode number 61. Let's do the pre-flight. We have a uh, guest interview that we're going to be working with on the show today. Before we get started, 
Um, some quick announcements. Actually, Carl, I don't think you had any this week, did you? N- no, I didn't have anything for this week. Wow. I, I'm, yes, I'm a slacker this slacker. week. No, it's okay. I have yeah. the uh, I have the usual. Um, it, you can sign up for our VIP email list. Visit stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash VIP. You'll get all of our updates delivered directly to your inbox. Nice, convenient way to do so. I know a lot of people have been enjoying that. Uh, on the last couple of shows, we have talked about our new digital training product that Carl and I put together called The Practical Guide to Winter Flying. Uh, new update to that, uh, not only is it a uh, digital training course online, but the uh, ebook is now for sale in the Amazon Kindle bookstore. It's also for sale at Barnes & Noble Nook Bookstore. And it's currently sitting in a very tall stack of digital books over at the Apple headquarters in Cupertino waiting to be uh, reviewed and approved. But once it is, it will also be available in the Apple uh, iBook store, which I'll make an announcement when it does. Of course, information about the course, you can visit uh, Practical Guide uh, to Winter... Bleh, I just practicalguidetowinterflying.com without any oohs, ahs, or a's in there. We're also running a very special promotion right now for our appreciation for all of your listenership through 2013. It's called our 30 Days of Thanks promotion. And what we're doing is uh, Carl and I are offering a $20 off coupon for the Practical Guide to Winter Flying. When you go to the website and you're checking out, use the coupon code Thanks 2013. That's T H A N K S 2013. Thanks 2013. You'll get $20 off the normal list price for the Practical Guide to Winter Flying. And that's again for our appreciation for all of your listenership throughout uh, throughout this entire year. We really appreciate you. And uh, we hope that this course is going to be something that helps you and makes you fly safer. And uh, this is, this is our, our holiday gift to you. Now, this promotion has already started and will be in effect through December 29th of this year. So go ahead and check that out. A couple of quick shout-outs to our sponsors, the awesome folks over at Aviation Universe, uh, Chicago's premier pilot emporium. Uh, In fact, I still have a project that I'm working on them with that's hush-hush right now, but I'll be making an announcement on the air when we do have some information to share about that, you can visit them, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash aviation universe. Also, our other fantastic sponsor, the folks at Four Pilots Only, uh, they have just come out with a new iPad kneeboard called the iPro Air Commander. And that is for, uh, as the name implies, the new iPad Air. It's uh, all-aluminum, custom-engineered cockpit solution for you, designed, manufactured, and assembled here in the USA. We already know about their amazing um, uh, lifetime forever guarantee, and I'm told the kneeboard ships on December 9th, so you can check that out, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash for pilots only. Now entering cruise flight. Now, when we got started today, I did mention that we had a special guest interview that we're going to be uh, hearing from today. I'm actually going to uh, step down from the podium and let Mr. Carl take over. Well, thanks, Len. You know, I, I, today we have with us, you know, one of my favorite podcasters, and I'm really excited to have him here today. He's, he actually is a person that inspires me and inspires many other people. And I found him on, on the internet at uh, one of the 
best aviation podcast, a generalist type podcast, and that's Airplane Geeks Podcast. And uh, his name is Max Flight. Max is podcaster extraordinaire, has uh, one of the largest directories on the internet of aviation, and he truly is passionate about aviation and passionate about podcasting. And it's just a, it's a pleasure to have you here, Max. Thanks for coming along to uh, the podcast today. Well, and thank you. It's a real pleasure to be on Stuck Mike Avcast. That's fantastic. One of my favorite shows. You guys do such a great job. <laughs> well, thanks, Max. Uh, you know, Max, uh, b- before we, we get into some questions, uh, you really fascinate me because you're interested in so many different things. <laughs> but it, the one, one of the reasons that, that we got together is, is uh, and I, I was on your show, The Airplane Geeks, a while ago, is that is that I and and the people here at Stuck Mike and Aviation Careers Podcast, we all have this incredible passion for aviation. But you know, you don't fly actual fly the airplanes, but you have this amazing attraction to aviation. And you know, I'm really curious, Max. I I, I think I may have asked you this before, but how how did you get so interested in aviation? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it sort of started at a young age, mostly with space, because when I was a kid. Uh, Man's space program was running pretty big. We were on our way to the moon, and that's kind of where my interest started. And then some years later, after I started my career at Pratt & Whitney, it just uh, kind of snowballed from there. And I, I just enjoy all kinds of aspects of aviation, whatever it is. Well, speaking of Pratt & Whitney, you're actually joining us from uh, actually the home of Pratt & Whitney in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. <laughs> I love I love Hartford. There's so much history there in aviation, but you know the, the, the I can see how you could get a passion for aviation from being around that for for so long. But you've you've been able to really bring forth something that I think is unique in the fact that you you're able to bring to us in the podcasting world some amazing guests uh, on airplane geeks how how do you do that, Max? I mean, you have some amazing folks that are on your show. <laughs> uh, you just ask them. <laughs> a lot of times it's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. So it really is. You know, I, there really is kind of an art to it in a, in a way. It helps if you find people who are passionate. It helps if you find people who are in the press, in the news, uh, already have some celebrity because they're more likely to go along with being on a podcast. And part of it, quite frankly, is just standing on the the quality of the work you do. You know, nobody wants to come on a show, whether it's a podcast or a television show or you know anything, radio, anything, if the quality behind it isn't really there. You you want to look your best, and so you want the show you appear on to look your best. And so we we try to you know maintain those kind of high standards because that, in fact, does help us with with getting great guests. Well, you know, Max, you, you are able to do that because you, you know a few things about podcasting. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm going to roll into all the different things you do because if I, I name them all, people wouldn't believe it because you're involved in so many projects. You have one called Podcasting Passion, a show called Podcasting Passion, which yeah. because of your background in podcasting and what you just said about bringing forth a really good type of product or, or a really good show, I should say. Uh, you've been able to, to bring this to, to people that are listening and also want to be able to bring a good podcast to other people. So podcasting passion has nothing to do with aviation, but it, it's, it's very technical and it's exciting. And I love listening to that also. Have you had any other people uh, in the aviation field on that podcast? A couple. Uh, we've had Steve Vischer, of course, from Playing Crazy Down Under, 
I think that may be the only other aviation guy we've had on the show. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's, it was a pretty simple start to that. I like to help people produce their own shows. And I found myself kind of giving the same kind of advice and tips over and over and over. So I thought, well, you know, why don't I just put it in a blog and just record it and then I can point people to that. And so that's, that's kind of the genesis of podcasting passion. And, you know, getting back to the podcasting and airplane geeks and, and trying to tie these two in, I, I was, I was like trying to figure out, you know, how did he get his passion for aviation? And, um, you know, it, it, it just comes out in your show. It comes out in everything you do. But I, I've always tried to characterize the airplane geeks. And I've said it's one of those shows that it talks about everything aviation. And you have uh, some general aviation. It's primarily airlines and news specific uh, and some space in there also. Uh, what what actually is airplane geeks? Is that a good characterization of it? Yeah, I think so. We kind of, oh, in a way, celebrate learning about aviation. Most people who consider themselves to be aviation enthusiasts kind of focus on one segment of it or, or maybe a couple. So you're either into airlines or you're into GA or whatever it is. And what we try to do is show those people that, you know, not only is your slice of aviation really interesting and fascinating, but so are many of the other slices. So we, we try to, you know, educate as we entertain people uh, a little bit uh, in, into these other aspects of aviation. Uh, you know, it's, it's a discovery process. Um, you know, when I started that, I, I knew nothing about general aviation, uh, but I started listening to uncontrolled airspace. In fact, I started, I subscribed to the, from the very beginning before they even had the name uncontrolled airspace. It was called the no name podcast or something like that originally. <laughs> and everything I I know about general aviation, I learned from those guys. And again, I'm not a pilot, I'm not a GA guy, but just learning about all that stuff is just fascinating to me. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's part of what life is all about. And have you grown to like general aviation and have a passion for it also now? Yeah. It's, in fact, those guys at uh, Uncontrolled Airspace were the ones that convinced me not to get a pilot's license. Really? How did they, how'd they convince you of that? <laughs> they, they, they don't even know that, I don't think. But, you know, I, I listened to them for a couple of years. And then finally, one of them really characterized being a GA pilot really well. At least it, it just really struck me as, as being a good characterization. And I forget which of the three guys it was. But he said, you know, being a pilot, it's about a lifestyle. That's what flying is. It's about a lifestyle. And... It, it really, I think it really is. And, and I came to the realization that, you know what? I'm not really at a point in my life where I can make a, such a commitment to that lifestyle. You know, I don't want to go in part way. If I got into it, I'd want to go in, you know, 110%. And at, at the time, you know, I just, I was working then and uh, I, I just couldn't make the commitment. So I thought, okay, we'll, we'll shelve that. I'll, I'll still keep my eyes on GA and all the things that are going on. But in terms of my personal involvement in it, getting a pilot's license, well, I'll, I'll save that for another time. Well, it truly is a lifestyle, Max. And it's something that encompasses your life. I think most people that are in aviation, they do give it 110%. You know, whether they're they're private pilot or commercial pilot, they they really are are trying to be the the best professional pilot they are, even though they may not be making money doing that. 
And that's what's neat about the people that are in that field. And that's what's neat about, you know, I, I give a shout out to the guys at UCAP. I think they, they did a terrific job of, of bringing people to the podcasting world uh, in general aviation. And, and all these other have, have sprung from it. As a matter of fact, you know, Max, you, you've, you've taken it to, to many levels. I, you know, I, I look at you as, as something that it, it, I, I shouldn't characterize it this way, but it, it's like invasive bamboo. You know, when Max is around, <laughs> you've, you've, got, you've got many more plants that plant themselves around you, and there's many podcasts that have grown from you. I mean, just name, name some of them that have, have just sprouted from just being associated with, with, uh, with the airplane geeks and have been well, inspired the- by them. Yeah, the first was playing crazy down under, which started as a segment on our show. Those guys, uh, for Steve Vischer, would send us uh, written news reports from his region, and that went on for not too long. And we said, "Look, why don't you, instead of us reading this, why don't you record it and send us a recording?" And so he did, and kind of started to enjoy it, and got hooked up with Grant McCarran. And next thing you know, they've got playing crazy down under. It's a fantastic podcast. Out of Australia. Out of Australia. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, out of the UK, uh, we have Aviation uh, Extended. Peter Johnson uh, produced that. Same thing, very similar. Started pro- providing us with some information, some content, and then uh, got together with a couple other guys and started that. Uh, more recently, David Vanderhoof and myself started the UAV Digest. We found ourselves being really intrigued with what was going on in the unmanned aircraft world. And instead of swamping airplane geeks with stories about that every week, uh, we sort of split off and said, okay, let's, let's just do a 30-minute, once-a-week podcast strictly on unmanned vehicles and systems. And, and so that's, uh, we're up to, let's see, episode 14 now of that. So uh, that's, that's what we have so far. Uh, I think there's maybe some more things to come. People have to stay tuned for that. But I, I think you've also inspired some people to start podcasting. I, I know that my other podcast, Aviation Careers Podcast, was was very much inspired by by your you folks and and the listeners' questions that I've heard, and uh, that that's one of the things that's that's keeps me going is actually listening to to the folks over there at uh, you know at all the different podcasts, UAV Digest and the Airplane Geeks. But you know, uh, one of the things that that I, I think is is really neat about uh, you guys is that you've really evolved. I mean, you came from a point where you just had a few people involved, and now you've you've had people leave the podcast because they've gone on to other jobs, and and you've been able to fill those slots. But you guys are up to like I think it's two hundred seventy four, seventy five. We uh-huh. recorded two hundred seventy five last night. That is incredible. How many years have you been doing this then? Uh, it was five years. It's almost five and a half years now. So there is hope for the Stuck My Gavcast. To, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Many more to go. Many but, more. you know, you mentioned that, yeah, hopefully, yes. You, you mentioned the uh, the change in, in some of the hosts. And that was, I found that to be very interesting. Um, a, a lot of times, sort of the flavor of the show, I mean, it's a function of the personalities of the hosts. And so when people leave and then other people come, you know, that has an effect on how does the show feel. And I, I like to think that, sort of the airplane geeks concept is larger than the individuals who, you know, who are the hosts. And I'd like to hope that, you know, some year in the future I move on or other hosts move on that, you know, the thing can keep going. Um, I'm hopeful that that that's the case. We've been successful doing that so far. 
but uh, ho- hopefully it's a, you know, it's, it's more of a concept than it is the specific individuals. And, and so the concept has more, more runway, if you will, than, than the particular individuals might. I think it will continue on. And, you know, go, there, there's a couple other things that you're doing that I think are, are phenomenal. But uh, before we get into that, going back to what you mentioned, the UAV Digest, is it, that's something that I think is resonates with the people that listen to, like the Stuck Mike Afcast, and people that are interested in finding out what are the new regulations, what's happening with the unmanned aircraft systems that are out there. What do you feel that, and let's move over to a little bit of general aviation and UAS or unmanned aircraft systems. Do you feel there's going to be a, a large impact um, amongst us, the general aviation world and flyers with these unmanned aircraft systems? I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be very, very large. And the reason I think that, or one of the reasons, is that I think the UAV industry is going to explode. I think it's, there are so many applications out there. We are, even now, even though the requirements, the regulations aren't settled yet, we are seeing so many interesting applications of these unmanned vehicles. I mean, we have these things flying around, doing surveys of vineyards. Uh, We have these things flying around, doing building inspections. Uh, We have these things uh, being used at airports to chase away birds. Uh, there, there are just the number of applications is just just mind-boggling, and it you know it really feels like uh, like like the beginning of the computer, the PC industry, if you will. You know, when you have a a capability is delivered or provided, and you have all these people creating uh, all these different applications and and uses and inventing things that we didn't even know we needed to be doing, and, and all that. So every, everything I see suggests that the volume of these things is just set to explode exponentially. Well, if you're a pilot and you're flying around, I mean, you want to make sure that these things aren't in your way, uh, that you can see them if you need to, or they can see you if, if, if they need to, and there's, there's no safety issues involved. So I think that this is, uh, and I think this is a concern that, that pilots have, whether they're GA or, or commercial pilots or, or any others. Uh, you know, if you, if you have huge numbers of these things in the airspace, it's a big issue. It's something we all need to be concerned about. And, and you know, you mentioned uh, unmanned aircraft systems. These aren't, when everybody thinks of drones and over these huge military uh, type of, of aircraft, but they can be any size, really. I mean, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And uh, all the way down from things that are the size of a, of a hummingbird. Uh, all the way up to the big uh, predators and reapers that you that you see in the news, all these different levels. Where there's a lot of growth now is is in sort of the quadcopter and the hexacopter kind of realm. Uh, you know, you can start out with something that's uh, basically an RC model, right? You're it's line of sight. You're controlling it. Uh, the range is and altitude is is very limited. But what we're seeing now is more developments, more technology being applied to the point where uh, these things are autonomous. They don't need to be line of sight. Uh, You can program them or direct them to proceed along a particular course or accomplish a certain mission, and off they go. And when they're done, they come back. Uh, You know, that's that's a completely different kind of a thing than something that's being piloted by an individual in line of sight. And what the FAA is trying to do right now is come up with 
what are the regulations? How are we going to regulate this industry? What are what are the the licensing requirements going to be for pilots? Uh, what are the technical requirements for the actual aircraft? Uh, what are the categories? So the, we're going to see a number of different categories. There's already been identified the small UAS, unmanned aerial systems or aircraft systems, smaller than 55 pounds. Um, there are a number of different categories based on altitude and weight, things like that. And the requirements for each of those is, is yet to be yet to be developed. Congress mandated that the FAA have this kind of <laughs> under control and, uh, and have all the study, the research done um, and the regulations in place for 2015. But it's it's not going to happen. It's going to take a number of years before we have all of the regulations that that we need. So from a you know GA or from a pilot standpoint, this is also this also means that there's an opportunity to participate in this process, uh, making sure that your voice is heard. If you have concerns or if as the regulations are being developed, uh, that you have some input into those. Uh, I think it's an opportunity for for pilots to provide that kind of input. I'll just jump in real quick. I know Len, Len, you had a question, but related to what you just said, it's progressing faster. I'm sure as as a lot of this does, then government can move. My guess is that yes. they're going to be chasing it the whole way, kind of you know trying to catch up with where it's at. Because I, you know, I had a quadcopter, one of those early ones that are most I don't forgot what it's called. The uh, uh, it's kind the of parrot. made of start. Yeah, the parrot. And you know, and, and it was fun. And I, I haven't flown it in a while, but I'll probably fly it again at some point. And then I, and then I got busy with life, and and it wasn't long. And then I looked around, and there was a guy. Who, who I fly with uh, or have flown with out of uh, out of Norwood, who has one of those, like the, the you know the newer quadcopters. Yes. I'm not sure what they're called, and he's posting videos shot from those things that are just rock solid. And you know, and I know in my in our business, which we do a lot of commercial production, we've used it a couple of times to, instead of cranes in situations sure. where you want to be up and you want to move around a large item like a car or something. So so there are people who have that as a business. It's not our copter, but someone you know. We, we hire them to do it. And so it's, it's incredible what's changed just in the last year from what I see. And, uh, and, you know, and, and government doesn't move that quickly. So anyway, I'll, I just wanted to reiterate that I think you're right about all that. And it's going to be interesting to see how, how government chases it. And different governments are able to chase it at different rates. Right, One thing right. that, that Dave and I on the show have noticed is that, for example, Australia seems to be farther along in terms of understanding how to regulate this and allowing applications to to take place. We, we're taking here in the U.S. with the FAA, as you would expect, a very, you know, kind of measured, conservative, uh, let's do this slowly and properly kind of an approach. And it, But it takes a while. Is, is there... Is there a certain altitude level where local authorities are involved or could be or could claim they should be involved? You know what I mean? If it's flying yeah. low enough near buildings, can the, you know, your town's <laughs> police or whatever have a problem with that? You know, is, is, some, is that kind of anarchy happening? <laughs> yeah, some some towns have tried to do that. And I think the FAA position has been not your job. That uh -huh. uh, They don't have jurisdiction. Right. But we saw there was one town that I, I think this was more publicity stunt than anything else, but passed a, an ordinance uh, or a bounty on UAVs. If you shot one down, you got, you know, I don't know, $10 or something. You know, it was a bounty on UAVs. But uh, wow. some people are, are, you know, there's the privacy issue, right? That's we, we've sort of been talking safety and, mm -hmm. you know, um, cooperative use of the uh, of the airspace. But 
privacy is another whole issue that's really sort of outside of the FAA's purview, but it's something that really needs to be addressed. I mean, we've, we've already seen examples of where some, you know, dope has flown his quadcopter with a camera uh, up against somebody's window and is looking in at the, you know, people inside. I mean, that's obviously an invasion of privacy, but uh, there've been other uh, cases where, for example, and this was from Australia, where uh, there's some uh, chicken farmers who are claiming to that they were free-range chickens. And so free-range chickens get a you know premium price in the market. And uh, this one particular group thought that they were really not free-range. And so they sent up their, their copter, uh, send it over the guy's property with a camera uh, to, to film. There's some uh, precedent for you know this sort of thing. Uh, but in terms of privacy, but what what if the uh, thing didn't fly over the guy's uh, property, but instead had a, a real long telephoto lens and, and it's got the same images, you know, the same snooping, if you will. So lots of uh, lots of issues around this, and it's like I say, it's going to take time. And Is I- there parallels with the with the um, helicopters, like the news helicopters, where? Uh, those came up once they had larger lenses that could zoom in. I know I used to fly on a lot of news helicopters, and when they got their new cameras, it was like, wow. I mean, you could you could look at the speedometer on somebody's dashboard. So I, right. I, I would think that some of these issues have, have already been addressed. And is, is there any talk of that, like those parallels in, in the UAV type of world? Well, some of those issues actually got resolved sort of at the very beginnings of aviation. Uh, the the traditional uh, old you know historic uh, uh, common law had been if you have property that you own the column of air above your property going to infinity, and similarly actually the ground underneath you, and it, in the beginnings of aviation you know now we've got airplanes flying through everybody's columns of air, and it was a little bit there were some problems. Um, and uh, eventually this concept of designating the, you know, the, the national airspace and, and that's, uh, regulated by the, the, the government. So you don't own that column of air, uh, over, over your, uh, over your property. Uh, but there's new twists with these things. I mean, as the technology changes, it sort of introduces new, uh, new questions and new aspects that challenge the, the, the law and the regulations that have uh, developed over time. And so, yeah, we are seeing some of that now with these kinds of vehicles. Max, what do you think, you know, the general public, including pilots, what, what should some of our concerns be? You know, I think of, I have visions of quote unquote drones and unmanned aerial vehicles and unmanned aerial systems. It reminds me of, you know, every five cent sci-fi movie you've ever seen. And, and, it, from starting this podcast and and something that you've been interested in, what do you what are some of your concerns? Some of the things that we ourselves should be thinking about and and should be learning more so that we can provide constructive feedback to uh, the FAA and organizations that um, you know that are regulating these items. Right. Good. Uh, good question, Len. The a couple of things. Uh, one is I see this kind of as a steamroller. And there, there are so many opportunities. There is so much commerce that can uh, result from these applications, which means 
there's a lot of money involved. And so whenever there's a lot of money involved, you know, there's going to be a lot of muscle behind it. So it's, it's not something that you can just dismiss and say, well, these, these things are not safe or they or they invade our privacy. And so we have to get rid of these things and eliminate them. So I, I think it's, uh, it, it's going to grow whether we want it to or not. Uh, next is it's, it's going to grow at different levels, right? There's going to be the hobbyist and the, the guy who's just messing around in his backyard and flying his thing over the neighbor's houses. Uh, but there's also police, um, local official use, uh, for, for lots of good reasons, uh, traffic, accident control, things like that. Um, uh, we see things with the, uh, some of the, the, the uh, wildfires in this country and in other countries. Uh, these are uh, great, uh, little devices to send out to survey and look at the fire, you know, all kinds of things like that, natural disasters. And th then you've got the, you know, sort of larger research, military, government kinds of uh, uh, applications, um, large-scale surveying, um, you know, military uses, border protection, all of those kinds of things. So what you've got is a situation where these things are occurring at every altitude level, right? Every, every, every level in the airspace. And so the hard part is going to be, okay, so if there are different people, different interests operating different kinds of crafts at these different, in these different altitude zones, what, what are the regulations that are going to ensure that we have uh, adequate safety, but that don't stifle the, you know, the growth of the industry? Um, you know, another aspect of this is it, 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 I think it needs to be something that the unmanned industry needs to step up to because mostly what I see now is, is them kind of saying, well, you know, you're, you're not letting us do this. We want to do this. We want to do that. And you're not letting us do this or you're making it difficult or I have to get an FAA, you know, waiver to be able to do this. And, um, I think they need to step up and become active in proposing the regulations. You know, it's, it's like, you know, regulate yourself. Industries that do that um, tend to have better results than those that just sort of wait passively for somebody else to establish the, the regulations. So I think involved, like I said before, I think involvement in this process, and again, this is going to be a multi-year process because we're moving so slowly, but involvement in it is going to be really important. Uh, otherwise we'll end up with something that's, you know, uh, it doesn't serve everybody's interests. How about the other implications as far as, you know, with unmanned aircraft systems, do you think that, you know, it's going to be uh, affecting the pilots and jobs career? There's going to be less pilots, there's going to be more pilots, or there's ultimately just going to be different uh, certifications of pilots. You know, what, what are your thoughts on on how that's going to affect us career aviators? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And uh, I mean, I just can, I can speculate. I, I think that th there's going to be a demand for a different kind of pilot, uh, more along the lines of what we see in the military uh, with some of the uh, drone strikes that we see. Um, so I, I think that there's going to be uh, an, an opportunity for something that's pretty similar to professional pilots that we see today, but in, uh, in a different, you know, in a different setting, in different geography, you know, at a, at a desk with a, with a joystick and a terminal. Um, but I also think that some of these, uh, more, uh, more commercial uses 
are, are going to require a group of people that know how to operate these things. And that can mean not necessarily piloting them, although it includes that, but it also can mean something like, you know, how do you, how do you program it? So we've got this, this area that needs to be surveyed. How do you program the thing so they can autonomously go out there and, and survey that? Um, there's a lot of software development, you know, that's, that's needed as well. Um, the, the, you know, detection software and things like that. So if, for, for those who are inter interested in, in systems development, there's, there's that, but, you know, I, there will always be pilots as we know pilots today, in my opinion, um, there will also be opportunity for a different kind of a pilot. I think in the future as these things develop. Yeah. That's ultimately what I was thinking. That's kind of been my thought and understanding is, hearing and learning more about them that it, it it's i don't think i don't see there to be an immediate short term impact um but like you said more of different categories of pilots for these these new applications yeah yeah and you know on on airplane geeks we used to, uh, we like to rib rob about uh, <laughs> unmanned commercial uh, <laughs> you know jetliners and, you know, if you want to get uh, Rob going, that just suggests that. And, uh, and and that's true of, you know, many, many pilots, I think. I, I'm not sure that we'll ever see that um, so that if you're, you know, if you're a, a Delta pilot, you're sitting uh, in, a, in a cubicle someplace directing the, you know, the, the three or four hundred souls that are flying uh, uh, across the ocean. I, I don't think we're going to see that. But. At the same time, I got to tell you that the technology, the control technology is just developing so quickly that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet any amount of money that in 50 years, let's say that, you know, that we wouldn't be seeing something like that. That's a, but for know, now, I think pilots are safe. Yeah, that's, that's a possibility. The, the thing that I would see that in order for that to actual, you know, actually become a reality is you're going to need a whole new system of measurements and instrumentations and, um, you know, type of equipment on board an aircraft. Because one of the things that we obviously do as pilots, and it's not just interpreting information, but there are sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle things that we literally feel in the seat of our pants, whether it's turbulence or, um, you know, coming in for landing over trees and you feel the wind shift and drop out from behind you and the airplane starts sinking. So, you know, for there to be at some point in any, you know, future of, of unmanned aerial vehicles, especially at a commercial level where, say, for instance, airliners um, may be flying, I would see, you know, there's a whole new level of instrumentation. You're going to have have to have all kinds of readings and uh, different accelerometers and stuff, sending this information to somebody so that that physical sensation that we are we you know would no longer be getting by sitting in the cockpit, we can uh, still evaluate, assess, make judgment calls, understand, comprehend, and and operate safely. Yeah, and that, that, that's a great point. the The human body is probably the best sensory device out there, and to to capture all of that and, and provide that, that kind of level of input into what's going on, that, that's going to be tough. Maybe you can never do it, but here's this, and this, this, is, this is guaranteed to be a little controversial. I could envision, I'm not saying I believe this, but I could envision a future argument saying that, okay, well, yeah, you know, these things are not perfect, 
but statistically, they're better than human pilots. You go, oh, wow. Because you look at, you know, look, look at most of the, uh, the aviation accidents that you see. I don't know the number, but my gut feeling or my perception is that way more than half of them are caused by pilot error. So if you create a machine, which really means, you know, software and computer chips, that's even a little bit better than that. Isn't that a better idea than manning the airliner with a pilot, with a human pilot? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that I, this is an argument that I support, but it's an argument that could come up. I Well, it would come up. You're absolutely right. It would come up. But um, I know Sean did have a question for you. Yeah, Max, you know, when do you think the shift happened to where, you know, model airplanes have been around for a long, long, long time. And I think people sure. may have been putting small cameras on them for a while, but I've really only heard people on a large scale talking about consumer level drones in the past year or two. What is it that you think created that sort of push? Uh, just availability software? You know, what, what do you think about that? I, I think a lot of it is sort of the, uh, the hobbyist drive that if you can imagine something in your head, some capability, and then you have the ability to create it, either because you can assemble the components into, into something that flies or you can write the software or, or whatever, that there's sort of a natural inclination to do that. You know, we, we talked about on the UAB Digest uh, some uh, episodes ago, there's, there was a demonstration at, the, at TED uh, that's called The Astounding Athletic Power of Quadcopters. And this guy demonstrated a number of different things. This was indoor. But the one that just really blew my mind was three, you know, relatively small uh, quadcopters, each uh, attached to the corner of a triangular, like a net. And so these three things were flying, right, with this net suspended underneath it. Uh, this, this, this guy that has, has done this research threw a ball up in the air these three quadcopters together were able to detect the ball, rearrange themselves so that the ball would hit the net, but also in a way that it would, by being stretched out, bounce off the net and go back to the guy that threw the ball. This is all autonomous. This is what some guy had, you know, well, a team, uh, some researchers and students, I think, uh, came up with. That kind of, you know, the ability to create that kind of fascinating, interesting stuff is, is just a huge motivator. So, you know, people are just, you know, the sky, well, here we go. The sky's the limit, right? You can, anything you can imagine practically, you can, you can, uh, uh, you know, create in, with these uh, autonomous vehicles. And, and so that just drives people to just keep going farther and farther and more and more and more. And it just kind of grows and grows. I think it's accelerated in the last couple of years. Uh, there, are, there are now some companies that provide some of the components uh, so that you don't have to start from scratch and, you know, program your own and, and design your own. You can uh, assemble different components if you want to do first-person view. So you put a camera on there. So you're watching what the you know, what the drone sees and uh, all this kind of stuff you can uh, assemble. And it's, it's attractive to hobbyists. Very cool. I'm going to have to look up that TED video. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's called The Astounding Athletic Power of Quadcopters. And I think if you search on that, you'll, you'll find yeah. it. it. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing. I even showed it to my wife. I said, you know, I said, you have to watch this video. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She doesn't care about this stuff, right? I said, no, you have to watch this. If you look at this video, you will understand why I am so passionate about this topic. It's that amazing. Very cool. All these fancy new UAVs and even new airplanes require a lot of um, computers. Uh, yeah. What's the concern about, you know, hacking into one of these aircraft? You know, that is a fascinating question because when people are rushing to, well, rushing, I don't mean that in a negative sense, but when, when, when things are advancing like this, nobody's thinking about encrypting the communications or, you know, addressing security issues like this. I mean, we even see this in the, in the commercial aviation industry, right? There's a lot of communications between airplanes and the ground or between the airplanes and satellites that's in the clear. It's not encrypted. And anybody could, you know, mess around with that. We saw the example with, well, it's still a claim, but I think it's probably true that when the Iranians captured that military drone, they did it by uh, spoofing the GPS system, right? They they overloaded the GPS signals with their own signals. Uh, the thing all suddenly becomes lost. And what do drones do when they're lost? Well, they're programmed to return home to base so by spoofing the GPS core. And it's the thing thought it was going back to uh, to its base and instead landed it in, you know, in, in the Iranian base. Um, so, yeah, I think this is something that people don't give enough thought to when they're when these things are first being created, when the frameworks are being established, it's almost like a standards issue. You know, there ought to be a, a a standards group that says, okay, so when you have communications between the base station and a drone, these are the requirements for encryption or redundancy or or whatever. Uh, we're probably not addressing that as much as we should be. Well, you know, one thing that I have a question on as far as you know that say you do have the ability to inter interrupt some signals and and you're able to say have what happened over in overseas where they took one of these off course if there was somebody on board that aircraft and it wasn't unmanned i think the person probably would have figured out hey this isn't the aircraft carrier <laughs> we're going the wrong way aren't we <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and, and you know in, in much the same way i think that's one of the reasons i don't ever see us leaving the cockpit as far as uh pilots are concerned because you know honestly we've already gone down this road of of being more aircraft managers and aircraft commanders than we are of actual pilots flying the airplane um, but this is a great example as to why I think in the airline world you'll see where we have <clears throat> excuse me people on board the aircraft where you will constantly have a pilot you know, because of the fact you need someone to make those decisions then also when those systems fail they usually have somebody that can override that system, and that's that's what the pilot's there for. I, you know, I'll give you a good example. You, you notice that we we haven't gotten rid of the flight attendants. You know, they're not just you know people mm -hmm. coke machines with smiles. You know, they're they're people there for your safety and obviously customer service. But there there's really have an important role as far as safety that I don't think you can, in that sense and also in the sense of a pilot, take away. Is is you you can't get rid of that that link there. Um, well, could it happen, say, quicker in the cargo world? I, I think possibly. Mm, yeah. Uh, like if you look at a cost-benefit analysis, I, I think, yes, I think that could happen. I know there's a lot of talk along those lines. 
Um, but I don't know if have you heard anything as far as cargo is concerned, more so than on on the passenger side. Well, it seems like that's more palatable, uh, just because of the the difference in uh, what would happen if there's an accident. Um, but you know, even a even a city bus has a driver. I mean, you could make an autonomous city bus, right? That wouldn't be very difficult. Sure. I mean, not really. Not not these days. Uh, there's we have cars that practically park themselves, you know, parallel park themselves. But still, we have bus drivers, and un- until we don't have bus drivers, I don't think that commercial airline pilots have anything to worry about. No, I don't think so either. But uh, again, uh, you know, the other day I was I was uh, docking my boat, and I just bam, hit the dock, and I was like, you know what? Maybe if I had a system involved, they, I wouldn't have had such a hard landing on the dock. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but in those cases, it, it, it is a great help. And, you know, going, going back to this, the, the one thing that I, I have an issue with, I guess, and a lot of other people, is the sense and avoid, you know, and, and yeah, yes. those are the things that, and by that I mean, can you sense what's around you? Can you avoid what's around you? Can you perceive that quick enough to realize that you are going to have, have an, a possible accident? Well, I, I kind of talk myself away from that argument in that we have a thing called TCAS, and it, it actually allows us to to see other aircraft electronically and to avoid those aircraft by the computer telling us, the pilot, what to do. So it tells one airplane to go up and the airplane I'm in to go down, and we're going to miss each other. And that's that's an electronic system that's able to sense and avoid in a very rudimentary sense. Okay, But now we're, we're putting us not just in, in a flight path that's that's going to be vertical. We're also going to be, it's three-dimensional. It's, it's going to be all over the place, and it's also going to involve many other aircraft. And uh, I, I think that's, that's kind of scary. I'd, I'd wonder where things have come. What have you seen in the past few years in the sense and avoid arena? Only that uh, we don't really have it at this point, not anywhere close to the degree we need it. You know, the FAA just recently uh, released a report on uh, UAS, unmanned aircraft systems. And one of the components of that is a recognition that we need to do a lot of work in the sense and avoid uh, arena. And what the uh, what the FAA is setting up is a, a number of sort of research centers around the country. I think there's supposed to be six, I think, of mm-hmm. them in total. And there's... Those places will be opportunities for the development of uh, good systems like that. That that's kind of the the strategy. But there's definitely a recognition that we don't we don't really even know what the requirements uh, for sense and avoid are, let alone have the capability to actually do it. And so that's something that the intent is to develop that over the next couple of years. And you know that that report you're talking about, the unmanned aircraft system, that comprehensive plan. It yeah. just came out recently. I, I've actually uh, read some of it. It kind of it, it's not the most exciting reading in the world, but no, uh, it's but it's exciting what they're talking about. I mean, if it, and boy, you're right. I mean, we have so far to go down this road, and it, it seems to me that and I haven't read the whole document. Uh, it seems that it raises more questions than it provides answers to me. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people were hoping that it would that the FAA would be farther along uh, than they are because what that plan and that roadmap uh, really do is sort of establish the framework for what do we need to do to get to where we want to be 
it doesn't really say, you know, that we're there and it doesn't say, you know, this is how we're going to get, it's, it's just sort of the framework for it. But I, I would really recommend that, uh, that, that all you guys, that every, every pilot take a look at this. Uh, you can probably find links to it online. If you go to the uavdigest.com, we talked about it in episode 14. Uh, so you can find links there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it lets you know, it gives you some insight into how the FAA and the government in general, because other, other agencies were involved in this, NASA was, and uh, as well as industry. But it shows you how the authorities are viewing how we're going to transition from where we are today to some future world that's really different. And so it's sort of part of your, you know, sort of educating yourself, becoming aware of what are we looking at here? What are people trying to do? It's actually a good way to uh, to discover that. So yeah, I would I would recommend that for pilots highly. You know, Max, it, it reminds me that you know we we really are at a stage in this whole UAS world, just like we were in the '30s. You know, it's it truly yeah. is. I feel uh, is the golden age of of unmanned flight, and it's it's exciting to see this. You know, never before in aviation have we seen such a large increase in technology and and such a large increase in, in knowledge of, of people and such a large increase in challenges with all those new increased technologies become more challenges. And, and it, it's, it's, it's exponential. And we saw that back in the 30s. We're seeing it again now. I'm really excited about it. I know I'll get some hate mail about this, but I think it's really cool. Uh, I, I love technology. I think it's fascinating. But I, I will say one thing. I, I think that on the civilian side, we don't believe in collateral damage, especially now. We we can't go through the '30s again, and we can't go through a yeah, period yeah. where we have all those accidents. We need to ha we need to do this and make incremental changes and make sure that we that there is that we're safe throughout the whole process, uh, because we don't want to scare passengers away from flying. That's for sure. That's and, right. And, we have an accident will do that. Yes, we we have enough sort of impediments mm -hmm. to uh, to air travel these days as it is. We don't. We certainly don't need more. I guess the one thing too I would add to that, and uh, Carl, you, uh, uh, I think uh, maybe something you could address in your other uh, other podcast. But if I was uh, a young person uh, thinking about aviation, and if this aspect of it held any interest at all, I would be all over this oh, because sure. I think this is going to be a a big big growth area. I think, like I said before, a lot of commerce is going to come out of this, and it's it's early now. You know, boy, how nice, how often do you get the opportunity to get into something in the beginning? Yes. You know, it, it, it doesn't happen. You've got to find a way to jump in in the middle or, or before it ends. And, and this is an opportunity for something that's just, just getting started. So not only can you contribute to what it becomes, but you can participate in it as, as a career, I think. Oh, yeah. And it's amazing how many schools have already started classes in unmanned aircraft systems. It yeah. just, just it, it boggles my mind. I started looking them up. I was like, wow, because I, I get that question often, you know, should I look at being an airline pilot or should I go to unmanned aircraft systems? And I say yes, <laughs> you know, do both. Uh, yes. You know, it, it, they're both very exciting. And, and if it, you want a backup plan, yeah, you can go ahead and, and work as an unmanned aircraft systems pilot. And then look at the military. I think you're seeing more and more of those. Uh, I know that there's more and more unmanned aircraft system pilots out there. Pilots want to fly airplanes. They don't want to, you know, be in a room flying uh, something that they call a model airplane. And uh, I think that's that's going to be an issue. So to change that paradigm, 
we're going to have to to get more people interested in in just becoming unmanned aircraft system pilots out there. I yes, think that, that's something they're going to look towards, and I uh, I think it's exciting. I mean, I think I think you're you're going to see, uh, like you said, a, a whole new industry that that grows out of this, and and I it, it's fascinating. It's it's, it's phenomenal, and uh, I think uh, we as uh, in America and also all the other countries have to come to some kind of uh, an agreement, like you said, it, it has to be through the industry where we can move these things forward, just like standards uh, that we saw in the in the computer industry. You know, we 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 went many different directions and finally came up with these different standards boards where we're okay, we're going to do it this way, and we have some type of standardization, and it makes the the movement forward of the industry uh, much quicker. You know? Yeah. It's a fun time to be in aviation, and not not just for this, uh, you know, for this reason. There's a lot of, a lot of other interesting things going on. Um, certainly in the in the commercial aviation world, we have new aircraft, new engines, just you know, step changes in operating efficiencies. Uh, lots of uh, new designs coming out. Uh, the, the I think the future. We have the pilot shortage, and what is that going to mean? And how are people going to respond to that? If we just we have lots of things going on in aviation. It's there's just never a dull moment. Oh sure, there isn't. That, that's why we never run out of topics to talk about. <laughs> isn't that the truth? You know, speaking of speaking of engines, you, you mentioned engines, and you're an engine guy. And uh, what what's what's the newest thing these days that you think is exciting with engines? Just not to get too far off the UAV topic, but but what's next? You know, I, I is it the geared turbofan? Um, is it the new composites that, that can run hotter? Well, what do you think the next thing is? Well, those are the two. Those are the two approaches. So uh, Pratt and Whitney with the geared turbo, and uh, you know, as I said, everybody knows I have been a uh, an employee of Pratt and Whitney, but I am by no means a spokesperson for for Pratt and Whitney. But uh, yeah, Pratt is looking at the the geared turbo. Well, not looking at is is produced the geared turbofan engine, which is, it's like going from a, a, a direct drive car to one that's got a transmission in it. You know, it, it just, uh, it, it makes sense. Um, GE, along with um, um, CFM, of which they're a partner, is taking a different approach and they're taking a, let's stick with a conventional layout and instead, as you mentioned, go with some uh, increasingly exotic materials, you know, do the usual things that, that have happened over time, increase the temperature and pressures of the core, things like that. Uh, two Two really different approaches. And... It's hard to say where it will go. I mean, I, I really can't envision it being a real true fork in in engine development. Uh, and there's also no reason why you couldn't put both of those approaches together in in one engine. Uh, but it's you know it's hard to say. But it, it's a little early. I mean, the the geared turbofan is flying. The the GE or the CFM Leap X engine is is not flying yet it's not to that not to that stage even though they're selling them or or, or taking orders for them right um and and we'll see we'll see what happens um beyond that you know a, a few years ago you would talk more about open rotors uh great big huge open rotor uh engines maybe at the back of blended uh you know body blended wing uh, uh, airliners things like that uh, I don't. I don't know if that's gonna if that's gonna work out or not. Uh, there's there's noise issues with that. Uh, Rolls Royce has in the past said that they've solved the the noise issue, but uh, uh, people are, are are skeptical of that. Uh, there's other issues. Probably, well, probably ultimately you'll see 
uh, engines that are more blended in with the with the the bodies of the airplanes, uh, the fuselage of the airplanes. Uh, you, you hang an engine, a couple of engines on on the wings, and there's a huge amount of drag caused by those engines. If if that can be more integrated with the body, uh, you 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 have some efficiency advantages that you might take it uh, it might might be available. But look at where the airframers are right now. Boeing and Airbus have uh, and are continuing to spend billions of dollars on development. Uh, the A350, before that the A380, um, now re-engining of the uh, 320 series and, uh, and the 737 series. Uh, these things cost a lot of money. And the way the industry works is you spend a lot, you, you pick your horse, you spend a lot of money to develop it. And then you want to sell it for a really long time so you can recover your investment. I don't think that we're going to see any big changes near term, even though there may be some technologies that could be employed, just simply because the companies are tapped out in terms of, of uh, investment dollars, the development dollars, research and development. They've got to recover the billions that they've spent so far. So I think, uh, I think near term it's going to be a deliver on the technologies that are coming in the next few years to 10 years. And unless something really significant happens with oil prices from there on, probably for a while, probably for at least 20, if not 30 years, just sort of gradual refinements to those designs. That's, you know, but who am I? I'm just making this up as I go along. <laughs> well, no, I, I tell you though, that's great input. I how I wonder if any of this new technologies ha, can has made its way over into the general aviation field, meaning the small piston world, because we're seeing changes there also in in efficiencies and also in in the removal of a hundred low lead. And I know this could be another yeah. whole another episode uh, just to talk about that. But but what have have you seen anything that's that's actually migrated to the GA field? Hmm. Not really. I haven't. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's certainly such not a small market compared to what you're talking about in the billions. You know, it's a compared to to a jet engine. They're gonna they're gonna make a lot more money selling one jet engine than a whole bunch of piston aircraft. That's for sure. But I could imagine that as the investment dollars start to be um, recovered through through sales on the big end of things. Um, then incrementally it may become attractive to, to, to look at more of the GA uh, end of things and to look for opportunities to, to flow some of that technology down. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, I could definitely see that happening eventually, probably not 2014. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. So you're, you're not much of a piston uh, engine guy. You're, you're more into like jet engines and turboprops. I, I know more about jet engines I like the sound of rotaries, though. <laughs> they do sound wonderful. Have you have yeah. you been up in any really cool airplanes? As far as small airplanes, just to I know we're we're kind of running a little bit long, but I'm just curious what what have you been in that that's really neat? And what not, do you, not not enough that's exciting. No. Uh, what do you, you want know, to fly in? Uh, oh, a Piaggio. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's a. That's I want a, to fly in that, and and I've also I I've also told Mark Klepper. Um, I want him to take me up in a uh, breezy. I want to fly in a breezy. Uh-huh. He'll probably scare the <laughs> daylights out, you know, out of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I want to fly in a breezy. Well, and then realistically, the most likely next interesting thing that I'm going to fly in is some kind of a biplane, a steerman or something like that. I really want to do that. 
And there's a lot of opportunities for you. That's that's such a cool play in the steerman. It really is. And you know, we we come. We've talked about all these new technologies and unmanned aircraft systems, and and we've talked about you know the engines and and the movements forward. But you know, it's funny how we we wind up migrating back towards the radial engines and the biplanes and yeah. the bugs in your teeth flying and. And I think that's that's a, it's a great way to to kind of end this segment. I think unless anybody else has any questions, but you know, the the more we move forward, the more I think we look back and and we look back to those those parts of the of aviation history and the parts of our lives that that we really enjoyed, and and we say to ourselves, "Gosh, you know, I wish it was that way now," but but we know we need to progress forward, but we still can enjoy those the the past, and and we can still become nostalgic and. And and we should we should still do that. We should still look backwards and and enjoy those things. And thank God we can, you know. Yeah, and I think that's part of our responsibility as content creators to help people realize that that it's you know look both directions, look look ahead of the future, but also look to the past. And uh, that's that's you know part of what we can help people do. Well, and and you especially are a huge content creator and you know you've asked me a few times how i'm able to keep up doing all these different things but i see what you've done especially with you know we never even talked about your your website 30,000feet.com i mean that that website's amazing it's a directory of everything aviation and you just just do a bang up job there and well it's not as thank you it, it, it's not as current as it needs to be because i sort of gotten into this podcasting thing but uh, <laughs> well I, I see some of your podcasts at the top of where's mine by the way no just kidding the uh but you know it, it really it's it is anybody else have any questions for for max because i think i think gosh max you, you you've really given us a, a lot here and i we could spend hours talking about uh, some of these other things i think that's you know as far as engines and and the movements forward and and i'd love you to keep us apprised as of what's happening in the in the UAV field, and you know, if but if people want to find out and people want to get to know where you are and how they can find out about you know the unmanned aircraft systems, airplane geeks, etc. How how do they find you, Max? Well, you know, we've put together something uh, new, airplanegeeks.net, not .com. .com gets you the podcast, but airplanegeeks.net uh, is uh, is where we collect. Uh, all the podcasts and the blogs, they're sort of part of this uh, this family that I'm I'm part of. And uh, that has uh, recent episodes, posts, uh, contact information, subscription information, all that kind of stuff. So, so sort of broadly, uh, there's that. On, on Twitter, I'm Max Flight. Uh, I try to keep that really aviation-focused. Um, also, uh, there's uh, uh, Airplane Geeks on uh, Google Plus Community that uh, we're, we're kind of liking a lot. So that's another place that I uh, hang out a lot these days. Oh, great. And airplanegeeks.net, that's, that's pretty neat. And, and you know, the, it, what's uh, another person I, I really want to kind of make a could, well, uh, let me ask you, who are the other hosts on your show and, and, uh, and, you know, what is their, their backgrounds before we move on here? Cause that's, uh, I think that's important to, to mention some really talented people that you have on there. So we have Rob Mark, and he's a, a commercial pilot. He's he, if you go back far enough, uh, he's a, a, a traffic air traffic controller, uh, but he's uh, also a flight instructor, uh, commercial pilot. Uh, he he loves flying the uh, Falcon 10 around. Sometimes Dassault will uh, I guess have him uh, ferry a, a new one over. 
Uh, he's uh, he's even he's even convinced Airbus once to uh, to fly an A380. He's actually take he's actually <laughs> been in command. He's flown the A380, um, and so he's got uh, that perspective. Uh, he flies a Cirrus a lot with his uh, in the flying club that he's in. Um, so he brings that kind of knowledge and, and perspective. And then David Vanderhoof is a uh, basically he's like an aviation historian. Um, he and he, he knows a lot about military aviation as well. Uh, he's a guy that you know it, when they when the Smithsonian wises up, they'll make him a job offer. Uh, and so he uh, he knows as much, if not more, than most of the people that work in the uh, in the Air Museum there. Uh, so those are the the two co-hosts, and then we've got, uh, like I say, Peter Johnson as uh, our UK correspondent, and uh, Steve Fisher and Grant McCarran are Australian contributors, and that's sort of the the family. Wow, and it's a neat family too, and I love the interactions between all of you and and listening to you folks. So the Airplane Geeks uh, podcast, I think everybody should check it out. And uh, you know, Max, I really before Len closes here, I just want to say you know thanks a lot for. For coming on the Stuck Mike Avcast, it's it's so wonderful to hear somebody else that's that's truly passionate about aviation. Oh, thank you. You're you're very kind, and my voice is a little bit hoarse. I think I've been doing more than enough talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much again, and uh, Len. Absolutely, thank you for coming on the show today, Max. In fact, I was uh, I was sort of reminiscing um, when. Carl was asking you who had been on Podcasting Passion, and I do remember an episode that him and I did about podcasting from a suitcase, which was, <laughs> yes, uh, that's right. that's which right. was an enjoyable show about sharing how we do what we do here at Stuck Mike Avcast uh, <laughs> while flying around in the, avi- uh, in the airlines, so that was, that was a fun one to do. But I uh, appreciate you coming on the show today. It's great to finally have you on Stuck Mike Avcast. The After Landing Checklist. So of course, links and show notes for this episode are available at stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash 61. When you get there, don't forget to like, tweet, and share the show. Plus, you can leave a comment on the blog because, of course, you know, we love hearing from you. Uh, If you've enjoyed this episode, you can also support Stuck Mike Avcast by visiting our wonderful sponsors and affiliates on the website. As always, if you do have any questions, comments, or even show ideas, we do love to hear your uh, show ideas especially, you can reach us by visiting stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash contact. There you'll be able to send us an email, leave us a voicemail, you could write us snail mail if you're so inclined, and uh, even uh, have access to all of the individual co-host contact information directly. A very special thank you to our sponsors, Four Pilots Only and Aviation Universe, for so generously supporting the podcast. From myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Victoria Zyko, and our guest, Max Flight, thanks for tuning in to episode number 61 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Until next time, fly smart and fly safe. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast, a Len Costa production.